book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. But then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed a man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Let us pray. Before we pray, remember Charles, Janie's dad, he had to leave. He got sick, and so pray for Charles. Let us pray. Father, we bow to thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to preach your word. I pray for wisdom and understanding. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, mind, enable me to be a help to this congregation. You know every need, you know every heart. Save any be lost and revive your people today. May we be strengthened in the faith by being in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to speak to you on the three appearings of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the coming of the Lord on Sunday night now for uh, maybe a month and different aspects about the situation in the Middle East, uh, I think it's an exciting time to be alive because I believe that the Lord is soon to come and we're about ready to leave here and that's exciting to me uh, more than it ever has been in the past. I believe in the coming of the Lord and uh, we have three appearings that are brought out in, in this text that I read to you, past, present, and future. First of all, verse 26 says, He hath appeared. For he says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now let me say a word here in this in passing. This is why people get confused in Scripture. The Bible says, Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin. Every time you read about the end of the world, it doesn't mean that that's the end of time. Uh, people say, well, the end of time is almost here. No, it isn't. Uh, the coming of the Lord is near, but not the end of time. The end of time won't be till the end of the millennium. Then the end of the thousand-year reign. I know if Jesus came today we have at least a thousand seven years left. I know that for sure. So he talks about he appeared in the end of the world. The end of the dispensation of law that Jesus came, died on a cross. And of course we have the dispensation of grace being the final dispensation before the Lord sets up his kingdom. And that's what he has in mind, not the end of time. So you have to read it in the context in which it is given. But the Bible says 
He hath appeared, he tells us why he appeared, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now that's the only remedy for sin. The sacrifice of Christ. No other remedy. No matter how good you live, you can't live good enough. Because God demands perfection. Nobody can produce that. Well, I know I can't. I know I'm a sinner. You don't have to tell me I'm a sinner. I'm sure of it. I know myself better than I know you. And we are all sinners, so we put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now I'm glad that he appeared. He appeared in a stable in Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2. Uh, he did not come to the palace. He did not come in royalty. The Bible says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Jesus came in such a way that every person could identify with him. From the beggar to the one that sits on the throne. He came to a stable in Bethlehem there. He appeared, and you don't read a lot about him. In fact, there's uh, 10 years of his life, uh, or 12 years of his life, really. Not a lot is said about him. When he appeared in the temple talking with the doctors at the age of 12. Now some, because of that, uh, that uh, story, think that you can't get saved to get 12 years of age, but the Bible doesn't teach that. The only ones that can be saved are sinners. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When a person realizes they're a sinner, they can be saved. It's kind of like uh, Brother Crumpton. You know, the little boy came and, and said, I want to be saved. He said, you realize you're a sinner? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good boy. He said, well, you can't get saved then. Do you realize you're a sinner? He came back again said the same thing. Third time he come back and he, he say, began to weep and he says, I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. <laughs> Aren't you glad Jesus died to save sinners? Only condition you have to meet is admit, acknowledge you're a sinner, realize you're a sinner. If you realize that, you can be saved. That's the reason many are lost because they, don't, they won't acknowledge they're sinners. But he appears there talking to the uh, to those that were educated in the law, to the doctors of the law, and, and, and he, they marveled at, at his questions and his answers. And he, 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 was, uh, he had, had more knowledge than they did because there was somebody in him that was not in them. And he was God in the flesh. Then he appeared there in, in, uh, at Jordan at the age of 30. So you have uh, from 12 to 30 years, you don't have... Uh, any record about Jesus Christ except that he uh, was there no doubt helping his father in the carpenter shop. The Bible said he was a carpenter. And so he knew what hard work was. Uh, anybody that's done carpentry knows that, that that's hard work. Isn't it, Ivan? <laughs> Ivan's building a house, him and Bobby and all there, trying to get it finished, laying rock. And I'll tell you, that is hard work. And Jesus, Jesus knew about hard work and demonstrated it for us, but he was baptized at the age of 30, not because he was a sinner, but to fulfill all righteousness, the Bible says, and to identify uh, with the work that he came to do. Then he appeared at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. You have that in John chapter 2, the first miracle. We had a discussion in the absence of Brother Thomas in teaching our Sunday school 
last couple of weeks, and someone brought up the question about alcohol. And does the Bible speak against alcoholic beverages? And the Bible very clearly does. He said, look not on the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth its sephirite, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. I don't think God would tell us to stay away from it and then tell us to drink it. That'd be a contradiction, wouldn't it? But some say, why, Jesus turned the water into wine. Yes, he did, but it wasn't the kind that would make you drunk. It was the best wine. And I've got a message I'll preach on that sometime and, and, uh, and show you the difference. But anyway, he appeared there at the wedding. And they said, most people, most people give you the best wine first and then save, save the worst to last. <laughs> uh, but you, you've saved the best to last. And Jesus performed. This was his first miracle. The Bible said the beginning of miracles. Then he appears on the mountain, delivers of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. That great message in, in Matthew there. And as Jesus preaches and, and uh, reveals the, the need of man, reveals the future of his reign upon this earth. Then we have him uh, appearing in the country of, the, of Gadara, where he cast out the devils in Luke chapter 8. We're just touching some of the highlights of his ministry there. And this man, this maniac, running around naked, uh, dwelling in the tombs. They tried to bind him and he'd break the chains. And, and uh, he, was, uh, he was an aggravation to that whole community. But Jesus came to town. And the worst case is the one he specialized in, wasn't it? And there we know that glorious healing that he experienced and the casting out of the devils and the salvation that came into his heart and life that day. In Luke chapter 8, we have in John 6, him appearing on the mountain and feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Now the liberal explanation of that story is, is, is uh, strange to say the least. The, the liberal, the modernist says, why, what really happened? is that, uh, that this little boy had a sack lunch. And he wasn't ashamed at all of his sack lunch. He just took it out and started eating. And everybody else had sack lunches, and they took their sack lunches out after he took his out, and they began to eat, and they began to share with one another. And it was a wonderful experience of sharing. How would you like to have a God like that? I'm like one preacher said, he was glad he didn't have a sack lunch God. How'd you like to have, how'd you, how would you like to expect a God that didn't have any more power than that to get you out of the grave? I'm glad the God I serve is all-powerful. And I believe in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 besides the women and the children. I believe he took five loaves and two fishes and multiplied them, gave thanks and break and gave the disciples and they distributed to the multitude and they took up 12 baskets of fragments. I believe it. I believe in all the miracles of the Bible. I believe God parted the Red Sea and they kicked up dust and went across on dry ground. I believe Jonah swallowed the whale, don't you? Uh-oh. <laughs> Got you, then. <laughs> well, I believe, I believe the story of Jonah and the whale, and I believe the whale's the one that did the swallowing, don't you? Uh, I believe that. Uh, I don't understand it. A lot of things in the Bible I don't understand, but I believe it. 
I believe he has power over disease. I believe he has power over death. I believe he has power over nature. And Jesus Christ proved his power by that great miracle. That miracle is the only one that is recorded by all five writers in the New Testament. Feeding of the 5,000. Then he appeared to the fearful disciples walking on the water in Matthew chapter 14. When they're out there in the storm and it looks like a hopeless condition and they look out and see someone out on the water and they thought it was a ghost. What would you think? I'd say that can't be real. <laughs> if you ever, if you ever seen any of you fellows that like to fish, get out on, uh, you know, get out on a, on a boat out on the lake. You ever seen anyone walking out there top of the water? I don't think so. They thought they saw a ghost. They thought they saw a spirit. And Jesus told them, "Don't be afraid. It's I." And Peter said, "Lord, if it's you, bid me come into them the water." He says, "Come on." Now, would you have got out of the boat? We talk about Peter sinking. What about Peter walking? Now, the other disciples got out. But Peter got out and he began to walk on the water. But when he saw the storm, he became afraid and began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord rescued him from that uh, there. He had enough sense to call on the Lord, didn't he? He didn't go into this big, long flowery prayer and try to impress God and quote scripture and give the reference so the Lord can look it up make sure it's there and he didn't go into all that he just, he just said Lord save me save me and the Lord did he appeared at Jacob's well to save the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 a woman that came out in the middle of the day to draw water which was unusual the time to draw water is in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, not in the middle of the day. And it gets hot in that part of the world. But this woman was a, was a sinner. And this woman had had five husbands. This woman was living with a man she wasn't married to. But Jesus loved her anyway and wanted to save her. And he did save her. And she left her water pot and came and told the men of the city, said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And a lot of people were saved, those half Gentile and half Jews. Well, Jesus knew she was going to be there and he wanted her to be saved. Then he appeared at Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. If you that's been to Israel, the miracle of coming out of that tomb is, is as great a miracle as raising him from the dead. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, he, and the Bible said he was bound hand and foot. He didn't walk out. He flew out. God brought him out of there and the Lord says, loose him and let him go. I'll tell you, he had been dead for four days. You know what the Lord is trying to tell us? He, he, he's, the, he's the resurrection. He's the life and the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection of the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And so he proved his power over uh, disease and over death. But I'll tell you, as great a teacher as he was, as great a miracle worker as he was, these could not save you, could not save me. The fact of Jesus doing all these miracles, if Jesus had come and lived a perfect life and performed all these miracles and taught great truth and done all these things, none of that could save us. He had to die on the cross. He had to die as their substitute. 
And I'm glad he did. He appeared on Calvary for the purpose of which he was born, that my sin may be judged there. Uh, he came for that purpose. Uh, I don't believe he was trying to shrink away from Calvary. I don't think he was trying to get out of it. I, I believe he was born for that purpose, to die on a cross. And he willingly went to the cross of Calvary to be our Savior there and to pay our debt of sin. If I go to heaven, I've got to get my sin paid for, either pay for it myself or get someone to pay for it for me. And that's what Christ did. He paid my debt of sin in full on the cross. When he said it's finished, it is finished. You can't add to, you can't add to something that's finished. You say, well, this is finished. And you go back and look at it and say, oh, I forgot this. I forgot to do that. You said it was finished, but it really wasn't, was it? <laughs> but I'll tell you, when the Lord finished it, He finished it. He finished His work on Calvary's cross. Then He appeared in paradise. In Matthew 12, 40, For if Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the Bible tells us, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, told the thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now I realize, you know, there's differences of opinion. There are those that believe that Jesus literally went to, went to hell and burned for three days and three nights. I do not believe that. If you believe that, that's your, your right. But the Bible says he is in paradise. He told the thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And he's, he had to be in one place or the other, and I think the Bible is clear on that, that he went to paradise for three days. He said, I'd be there for three days and three nights. And so he appeared in paradise. For what purpose? For those that had died in the faith, those Old Testament saints that had died in the faith, and to let them know the price of redemption was paid, and to move them up to the third heaven. He appeared there in paradise. Then... He appeared to many after his resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, uh, we, we rely on, 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 on history for a lot of things we believe. We believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. Now I want to ask, I want to ask you today, has anybody ever seen him? <laughs> How do you know he was the first president? Because that was in the book, right? You went to school, and you, they, you had a history book, and, and you learned that in the book, and you, you just you said, well, I, I guess it's so. Someone wrote it down. You know, I learned some things about Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus was a Christian. I didn't learn that in school. They didn't tell me that. Uh, but, uh, but it was so... A lot of things we didn't learn. But anyway, the testimony of Jesus Christ, how do we know that he rose from the dead? The Bible tells us he did. And there were those who saw him after he died. You take a person, you take a person that's died, you know, some say he just swooned on the cross. He wasn't really dead. And they put him in that, in that uh, tomb and the, the coolness and the dampness of the tomb caused him to revive, and he got up. Well, let me take you and put you on a cross. Nail spikes through your hands and your feet and hang you there for six hours, crown you with thorns and beat you till you, you don't even resemble a person. You're, you're tortured and your back is all beaten up. 
and then take a stick of spear in your in your side and up into your heart and the blood and the wall your blood and water all the blood and water drains out of your out of your body and see if you live through it I don't think so I want to tell you Jesus Christ was dead absolutely and positively dead when they put him in that tomb and three days later he walked out alive and he was seen he was seen by over 500 people at one time. Now you get 500 people to agree on anything, and you've, did, you've done well. You get two people to agree on anything, and you've done pretty good. <laughs> but anyway, he was seen by different ones after his resurrection, and he invited them to, to put their fingers into the print of the nails and thrust their hand into his side. He said, it's high. Was not a fake. He was not a fake. Tells us something about the resurrection body. Resurrection body will have flesh and bone. He said, touch me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. Come over, Thomas, and put your finger in and touch me and see for yourself. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is alive. And because he lives, we'll live. This old body is going to get up. And I like the old Negro spiritual. It says, there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to get up out of that ground. Because there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. I believe that, don't you? He appeared to many after his resurrection. 1 Timothy 1 verse 10 but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He hath appeared. Then number two, he now appears, verse 24, present. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is in the, in the heavens. Jesus Christ is there now. He's out of the grave. He's alive. He's in heaven. For what purpose? To represent us. We have a lawyer. We have an advocate. When I sin, the devil accuses me and says, look there. Jesus comes by and says, yes, but I paid for it with my blood. I paid for that debt of sin. That's why any old sinner, I don't care what they've done, how mean they've been, when they come to Jesus Christ and say, acknowledge your sin, admit their sin, they can be forgiven. Because the blood of Christ is there in heaven as a payment for our sin. He now appears. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. Mary can't intercede for you. Saints can't help you. One mediator, one. And that man is Christ Jesus. What kind of man is he? Hebrews chapter 4. Turn back a few pages there. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. But we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the fiddling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly 
unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm glad that we have a sympathizing Savior. We have a God who understands all of our trials and all of our heartaches. And the Bible said His grace is sufficient. I believe that. I have seen it over and over. His grace is sufficient. I remember when the doctors told Sandy, there's nothing else we can do for you. She calmly talked to us about it and about uh, plans to leave this world. My wife says, I can't believe how calm she is. I said, that's God. That's dying grace. And I believe with all of my heart, I may not live till tomorrow, but when the time comes for me to go, God will be all sufficient. God will be everything that you need. Don't worry about it. Oh, you say it worries me, it troubles me, it doesn't need to. Because the Lord has promised grace. And let's come boldly to the throne of grace. May obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need. We don't always understand. The hardest part for me in this whole episode is understanding why. God may never tell me why in this world. The Bible, the song says we'll understand it better by and by. So we may not understand it till we get home to glory. But I know this. I know God can't do wrong. God makes no mistakes. And, uh, and uh, all things work together for good to them that love God. And we may not can understand why. We may not can understand how that is possible. But we have to take it by faith and believe God. And trust God. He now appears in the presence of God for us. And I'm glad I've got people that's there with him. The Bible said we're absent from the body. We're present with the Lord. In Hebrews 7, verse 24. Hebrews 7, 24. Page 12, 97. But this man. Glad we have a man in heaven. He's God, but he's also man. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens who needeth not daily as those high priests offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. What a great high priest. He's holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled. He's separate from sinners. He's higher than the heavens. He's not like us. He's higher than us. He now appears. Thank God he did appear. He now appears. And then the best part of all, he shall appear. Verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Well, I've been looking for him ever since, ever since I heard, heard he's coming back. I've been preaching he's coming back any time. People told me, said, I heard you 25 years ago. You said the Lord is coming any minute. And my answer is, 25 years closer than it was then. I believe he's coming back, don't you? Amen. The Bible says we're not in darkness. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 
and uh, unto them that look for him shall he appear. 1 Peter 1, 7, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We don't understand the fire, fiery trials sometimes. We don't understand the whys. But uh, he said it's more precious than gold. And the important thing in my prayer has been that I'd honor God whatever I have to face in life. That I'd honor God through it all. That ought to be our number one desire. The devil's desire is to cause us to turn our backs on God and to quit God and throw in the towel and say, why, why, what's the use? But the Bible says it ought to be to praise and honor and glory. 1 John 2, 28, Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence not be ashamed before him at his coming. Well, we ought to have a desire when he comes back to be about the Father's business, to be watching, to be serving him, but not be doing... You want to know how to live? Live in such a way if Jesus come back you won't be ashamed to meet him doing that, that thing or saying that word or thinking that thought. Some will be ashamed. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what, what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, while we shall see Him as He is. And then uh, in Colossians 3 and verse number 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Well, if we're going to appear with Him in glory, we're going to have to go up to meet Him first. And we're going to do that in the rapture. We're going to come back with Him in the revelation. And First uh, uh, Timothy 6, 14, uh, That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of Jesus Christ. And First Peter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I want to tell you, one of these days, it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all when we see Christ. It'll be worth every trial, every heartache, every sorrow, every battle when we meet in His glorious presence. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You say, why aren't the rewards handed out when we go to heaven? Because the work's not done. I remember hearing Mike Hodge, whose minister I was saved under, whose preaching I was saved under. And I've heard him tell about how many preachers, how many, how many preachers that were, that, or how many people that were saved under his preaching were now preaching themselves. He said, one of these days I'll be dead and gone. But he says, my reward will go on as long as they preach and win souls. My reward to go on. Well, he's been in heaven for a while now, a number of years. And his reward keeps going. And I believe these people that I was able to win to Christ, I was able to win to Christ, and now they're preaching. You know, what, a, what an investment. They talk about investment accounts and, and, uh, and all that. I'll tell you, the greatest investment of all is in eternity. Win someone to Christ, and they win someone. Maybe they win two others to Christ. Then those two win two others themselves. It's an amazing investment. Best in all the world. And God said there's going to be a crown of righteousness. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 1, 
I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. The quick are those that are still living. The dead are those that have died and gone on before. And we will stand and give an account. In Malachi 3, verse 2 and 3, But who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. They may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Well, he's coming to judge. He's coming to reckon with his, with his saints. And Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One thing the trials of life will do, they'll make you heavenly minded. You know, we have to guard against getting too entangled with the affairs of this life. The Bible warns us against that, that that day overtake us unaware. Looking for the blessed hope, that's what we have looked forward to. That's my hope. It's my life. It's why I live. Everything else is secondary to that. All we have to work and labor and try to, try to feed the body and clothe the body and keep us alive while we're here. But uh, that's secondary. The important thing is looking for that blessed hope, making an investment in eternal things, trying to win people to Christ, showing people the way to God. Listen, folks, we got the best news in all the world. We got the greatest message <laughs> that there is, a message of salvation, a message of hope, of a better day. I'm glad I'm saved. Glad my family's saved. Glad my loved ones are in heaven. I'm like Mr. Webb's brother told me a couple of weeks before Sandy went to glory. He told me about his son. He got killed in Vietnam. He said, I've never forgot. He said it's got a little easier. But he said I'm getting ready to go see him pretty soon. That blessed me. And there was a colored lady came through the line down, I know, in Salisbury there. And she said something that blessed me, and she said, your daughter was given the choice. Would you like to go back down to earth? She'd say, no, just bring them up here. Glory. One day the Lord's going to do that, isn't he? Such a better place, isn't it? Listen, if you were in a land, I like that song, If I Knew of a Land. If you were in a country where nobody ever got sick, nobody ever died, where no one, where no one ever sinned, where everything was perfect and everything was wonderful, where there was never a sad moment, where there was eternal joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore, the Bible tells us. Would you want to leave? <laughs> Come back here? I don't think so. I don't think so. Glad I'm saved. I'm glad we have the wonderful privilege of sharing such a wonderful message with others. That's what it's all about, folks. If it wasn't for that, why live?
What's the purpose? If we didn't have that, what's the meaning of life? Don't make a lot of sense, does it? So glad I'm saved. May we be busy about the Father's business. Let's bow our heads, please.